obviously your doctor physical therapy dpt at this point and you know i guess what kind of put you down the path from a standpoint of just like wanting to go do physical therapy and stuff so first off thanks for having me on the uh the podcast or twitch i'm not even sure what it is. but um yeah so the path of physical therapy is always i never really knew what i wanted to do growing up um i was always kind of doing bad academically. So I was like, maybe the school thing is for me. Spent a lot of my youth hustling sneakers. And I got an injury when I was in Buffalo my senior year. And I just remember having such bad neck pain, such bad back pain, and numbness and tingling down my right arm. So I, I seeked out help from a physical therapist, went to a physical therapy clinic. Within you know a couple of weeks, like five to six weeks, everything started to feel a lot better. Um, and I remember she was just so happy to see my progress. I've never had that before with another healthcare provider where they were so invested in my care and, you know, seeing my outcome. So when I was feeling better and I was able to get back to doing everything I love, I remember she had a genuine smile on her face. And at that very moment, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to give people their life back. And after that, things just kind of clicked. You know, I just started focusing more on school and try to get my life together so I can get into physical therapy school. What was like the actual injury from? <laughs> Do you remember Sky Zone in Buffalo where it's just the uh, the trampoline you know, park? It's essentially a yeah, big uh, trampoline park. And I was like, this is so fun. I'm just bouncing, landing on my back, and like you know, not having taken that kind of impact in a little while from just doing stupid things as a kid. I just remember afterwards, just the next day, I was like, oh, I don't feel so great. And then I just kept training, working out, and it just kind of progressively got worse to the point that I started feeling numbness and tingling down my right arm. And I was like, oh, man, it's taking a lot from me because I'm someone that loves to work out and train. So I knew at then I was like, I got to figure out, I got to seek help, figure stuff out. Yeah. What, what was like the actual injury? Was it like a slip disc or like a herniated disc or just kind of luckily not that severe? At that time, I was, I'm, it's probably something related to like a nerve impingement. Because I was, I was noticing a lot of numbness and tingling down just like a certain distribution. So I couldn't grip my hand really well. So for me, I'm thinking numbness and tingling. Obviously, my memory is not as great. I can't remember those specific details. But from what I can remember and recollect, it's probably a nerve impingement. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean. Related to like some, you know, upper back, you know, spasms and things like that. Yeah, my dad, I forget. I took anatomy. I didn't do well in it. Uh, but my dad has like an injury in like his like upper uh, spinal cord. And then like that injury is like limited. But the damage on his like left hand, I think, is that like he can't feel anything with his thumb. So he's always terrified that like he's just going to like bang his thumb into something. And like instead of stopping, he'll just keep going. But like that slam will like break it. So he walks around with like his hand tucked like this. And I see him like massaging it. He won't do anything for it though. Like no, he won't do like the surgery, the cadaver. I don't know. It's just uh, stupid, stupid. He, he's stubborn. <laughs> It just depends where you're coming from, right? I've had certain clients where, you know, they're super hypervigilant, like, oh my gosh, like this is happening, it ruined my life. And certain people like that had something traumatic and they're like, you know what? I'd like to be able to get back to this, but if, if I don't, it's all right. <laughs> so you get two different sides of the coins. Yeah. Do you think, do you think like from, from like a physical therapy side of things, do you think that like mindset like really affects outcome? Where, like, if somebody's just, like, doom and gloom, like, that they have better or worse results than somebody else? Definitely. 
I think the biggest, and there's a lot of research to show this, is that your, your perception of what the outcome is going to be or how you're going to feel down the line significantly influences your outcomes. So there are a couple of, uh, this is a really good research paper on the shoulder outcomes and the severity of the shoulder injury didn't matter as much as your perception of how well you're going to do after the fact. So right off the bat, you know, when I, when I meet someone, when I get someone into the gym, the clinic, my goal is to make them feel that they have a plan in place that's going to get them back to doing what they love. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things, right? Like where uh, those who think they can and those who think they can't are usually right, right? Like that kind of thing, like as far as that kind of outcome, right? Um, you know, I, I wanted to have you on because, you know, obviously you have a ton of success on Instagram. You have like, I don't know, what is it? Like 50, 60,000 followers at this point, which is 51, right? Which is crazy. And, you know, like I was following it from like super early on because, you know, just being friends with you. And I find it like super helpful to see, you know, like, a lot of your different takes as far as like physical therapy goes. And I guess like, how did you start making like different assumptions or different, you know, protocols in your own mind of like what works and what doesn't compared to, you know, more than norm? I, I definitely think I'm a, I call myself like a degenerate because this is kind of what we we're talking about before at the podcast is I kind of live in a box, right? Like I see a certain amount of clients per week and any anytime I can't figure out how to help somebody, it affects me. And it's, it's one of those things where I don't want to take my work home with me, but I always want to know that I'm ready for certain opportunities. You know, when someone comes in the door, I want to know that I'm ready to help them. And this is true for, I would say, a majority of people that come through the door, no matter how complicated the case, but there's always a couple that come in and I literally feel stuck. Like, oh, man, I don't know what to do to help them. And what I know currently, my current body of knowledge isn't enough. So I seek out answers. So I'll start reading more research. I'll start seeking out mentorship from other people that, you know, do good work. And I just keep trying to learn. I, I think if I don't evolve over time, I should just find a new job because personally, I want to get better every single year. I don't want to repeat the same year for the rest of my life for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely agree, right? Like, like I see people... It's even just like for your take, right? Like you want to continue to like getting better and like, you know, sharpen the blade, right? Like as far as you being a better physical therapist. But then like for me, I'm just like, it's fucking boring. Like I don't want to go to work every day and do the same fuck, like, you know, the same shit day in and day out. And like never like it, maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe, you know, whatever. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to hear it. And I mean, I think it really shows because, you know, clearly people are following you. Pe clearly people are, you know vibing with what you're putting out into the world and i guess like you know what what was like the because not a lot of physical therapists right are like killing it on instagram right like if you told me yeah i'm gonna make my physical therapy page on instagram i'd be like eh, i'm not i'm not betting on it but here you are and like i guess like what what caused you to like want to start doing it and then like what do you like what's the take in terms of like putting out posts and stuff i originally you know it's just kind of like oh I saw a couple of people doing Instagram and I'm like, hey, I can use this to really reinforce what I'm learning at school. And then as I started to use, you know, Instagram for physical therapy content, I met other physical therapists and I started seeing other philosophies of treatment that were com not completely against the rationale that we learned in school, but it kind of went against what I was learning in school. And it's, you know, as you start seeing these things come up more and more, I'm like, wow, like maybe what I'm learning in school isn't the right thing. It's very old 
way of thinking and not up to date with the, the evidence. So I've started using Instagram more so as a networking tool. You know, obviously I still post content. I still try to post things that I'm learning, but I'm using it to get engaged in the community because to me, that's the most important thing. You know, you can know all this information, but no one really cares if you're not, you know, if you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not meeting people in the community, if you're not networking, because if you're just preaching to yourself or just random people on the internet, then that doesn't have any impact. But when you get to really, you know, meet others that might need your assistance, like I work, I work with a lot of trainers because I connect with a lot of trainers. And when they come in, I can kind of show them what I do so that when, you know, one of their clients starts to experience back pain, one of their clients starts to experience shoulder pain, they're not getting answers that they want from other doctors. They're trainers like, hey, you should see this guy, Andy, like he's worked on my shoulder and this a couple of times I was getting, I was, I was in a very similar situation as you. So he was able to figure it out in a couple of you know sessions and get me back to doing what I love. So I think if you're going to start Instagram, it's very saturated right now in regards to just posting exercises and it's, you're better off one, you know, showing some kind of character, like who you are, uh, posting good information because the number one rule is always providing value and then network, like be a part of a community because that's what's going to drive your career and everything forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all that makes sense. I mean, you guys had like some amazing posts that are like kind of further down, but I remember seeing them and like, that was like where it like clicked, which is probably thousands of posts ago, but I will, I will pull it up for people to see, but like you had like the spinal cord breakdown and like the shoulder breakdown and stuff and like different exercises. I guess I also want to talk about this a little bit. You, you mentioned like trainers and stuff. You're also like a monster from like a powerlifting side of things. Like what, what, I guess, Talk a little bit about like your success from powerlifting, but also like the duality from, you know, being a physical therapist and then trying to push boundaries where like, I mean, when we were lifting in college, it was like, oh, don't go too heavy. You know, like you don't want to get hurt. <laughs> no, I, trust me, man. There's people my weight class that are like absolute savages. I feel like I'm just okay in regards to like the average person. Um, but, you know, success in powerlifting is kind of came from just sticking to a program. I hired a coach and he programmed things for me that I personally didn't think I could do. And I think you need that in life. You need someone that pushes you out of your comfort zone. So when I finally had a coach where I was like, man, you like, coach, are you sure about this? Like, you had that the program? <laughs> like, yeah, like we're preparing for this. So I kind of took that and. I apply it to like my clinical thought processes. You know, someone's coming to me because they're experiencing pain, but not just pain itself, but pain that inhibits them from doing something they love. I've got to have some sort of plan in place that slowly gets them back to that. And then even creating a buffer for that so that they're not always at their threshold. So I think of me personally, I think movement is key. You know, we're pretty much built on this earth to reproduce, keep moving. And those are the two main things. So if I can help you with one, then you can live longer. You know, once you stop moving, things go by so quick. Like if you're in a hospital and you're bed bound for a week, you're really losing so much strength. You're bed bound for two weeks, like you're, it's even worse. So for me, the quicker I can get you back to doing the things that you love, the better. Have you thought about trying to help people reproduce for the second half? <laughs> <laughs> um, let me. So I just want to show, I just want to show like some of your actual like breakdowns and stuff, right? So you have the, uh, how, how I coach the press and why I don't prescribe banded shoulder, IR, ER, right? And so like, you just have like really great breakdowns and then, you know, like a lot of like 
information behind like the actual piece and i mean i just want so that way people who are maybe debating lifting more or like at home workouts you know like obviously covid is just like such a crazy time from a standpoint of lifting and exercise and i mean i think from watching your videos throughout covid it's really like this proof that like you know you could do it with like a milk jug at home right like i mean you you obviously do like a lot of kettlebell work and stuff but like you could realistically like start out with like a half filled milk jug and like work your way up yeah i've i've really had people with a book and a beach towel you know like you just gotta get re really creative macgyver things like i've had people push against a wall to get the stimulus that i want the intent if something's unmovable then you can exert as much force as you wanted to it then i just changed the vector to slowly get to what was symptomatic when we first started so i can just gradually expose you to the stressors that you are incapable of adapting to but if i do it in a nice controlled manner then the body's very predictable right if you curl 20 pounds every week it's going to get easier likewise when i'm rehabbing you if you're doing this if it's on the same continuum of what I want you to do, I just have to progress that continuum over time. So it, it's never, uh, to me, when people say exercise is medicine, it's got to be dosed like medicine. So, you know, one Tylenol, you know, it might get the trick done, but two Tylenols might be, you know, just the right amount. But you start taking eight Tylenols, now you're like messed up. So that's the same idea is if you do one set of back squats, eh, you know, you might get the job done. Two sets. We're getting there. Three sets feels good. Now we're being challenged. But if someone just out of nowhere does eight sets of back squats and they weren't ready for that exposure, then I can't tell you that back squats were bad. The dose was bad. So that's my line of thinking is I don't think anything's off the table in the long run. I just have to figure out what the dose is so I could slowly get you to that point that you can tolerate it. So I guess because I had a buddy, he came and he worked out with me when I was like lifting like a lot in college. And I like, I, took it easy on him right like in terms of like what we did and stuff and then he hit me up the next day and he's like dude i have never been in this much pain and for the next seven days every day i got a text message going i'm still in pain right and i realized you know like later on that like it was not his fault it was my fault right like where like i just over you know overdosed right him on exercise right and i guess like for for somebody who's like just starting out like how do you decide like what is an acceptable level of like exertion for like a true beginner, right? Like you see somebody on YouTube and they're like, yeah, do 10, 20 pushups. Somebody, you know, maybe can't do 10, 20 pushups or, you know, would get super sore from 10, 20 pushups. So like, how do you, I guess, like start somebody out in terms of maybe like self-assessing and then like working out a program from there? Yeah, I, it, it's hard to say to give specifics, but I can give you kind of like a framework of like my decision-making. But right off the bat, like if someone's like a beginner, I'll set the expectations like, hey, we're like, we're going to do a couple of exercises and you're going to feel sore tomorrow, but it's OK. Like, you know, that doesn't mean that anything bad necessarily happened. It just means that you're doing something novel and your body's like, whoa, 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 we've been sitting on the couch for two months and now we're training. Of course, I'm going to be a little bit sore, but I always view things like this. If it feels OK within the session, the training session, the rehab session. That usually means that that specific movement's okay. But if it's 48 hours within that kind of time frame after that last session and you're kind of sore, that's when I'm starting to think, okay, the intensity and the volumes might have to get it adjusted, the sets and the reps and the weight. So that's how I kind of grade what somebody's ready for. I give them some sort of baseline, like let's go three sets of five squats, you know, some push-ups, split squats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, follow up with them within 48 hours, see how they feel. They feel okay, 
then I'm going to pull one lever at a time, meaning, okay, that means I can either increase the intensity, I can either increase the sets, or I can increase the volume. It's one big experiment, but if you change too many of the quote-unquote independent variables, then you don't know what's accounting for the next um, 48 hours, meaning if I change three variables and then they, you know, within 48 hours, like, ah, I'm so sore, I don't know exactly what, what the thing that triggered it. But if I change one thing, it's like, okay, now I have a better idea of, you know, what you might be sensitive to. Some people are sensitive to more volume. Some people are sensitive to more um, higher intensity, like, increases. So it's just getting a feel of what that person's capable of, and it's slowly building a program around that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, like, great. Do you have anything that I... For, for somebody who wanted to start from, like, square one, right? Like, not into fitness, not into, you know, any kind of sports or anything like that. And, you know, COVID was this time frame where, like, all right, I'm going to, whatever, change something. Or even just, you know, spring, summer, right? Spring break is here already. Summer's around the corner. Like, how, where would you have somebody start, right? Like, are there any, like, resources that you really like or things on your page or anything similar that, like, are good starting blocks? Yeah, I think it depends on the person's goals. I always say it depends because there's so much context that goes behind, like, you know, I want to start something, you know, for like the the grandma that doesn't have any baseline level of fitness, I might start them with just, hey, you're going to walk, you know, let's take 30 minutes or whatever you can um, dedicate to walking and just walk, you know, someone that may be in college, it's going to look significantly different, meaning I might make it a little bit more intense. But you can come up with any exercise and just kind of measure it over time. I would always try to figure out what that person's constraints are. You know, how much time do you want to dedicate? Because I can't give you the perfect program if it doesn't meet the needs of your lifestyle. So something as simple as like, hey, set the clock for like uh, 20 minutes and you'll do 10 bodyweight squats, five push-ups, and one pull-up and see how many rounds you can get in 20 minutes. Over time, increase it. Uh, you know, just measuring something just so you know that you're making progress and it kind of hits a little bit of everything. I don't think it needs to get super exact, but the, the main thing is, you know, just hitting basic physical activity guidelines and also making sure you actually enjoy it. You know, working out is not always fun in the beginning, but there's definitely ways to make it more enjoyable. Like doing a goblet squat is probably easier for people than going straight into like a back squat. You know? So those are things I'm always considering. But if you're looking for, you know, starting, I would definitely invest in a coach or a trainer. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm going to just pull up an image just so that way people can actually see what the, what like a goblet squat is, just in, in case people haven't seen that before. Um, but it's basically like you're front holding some weight, typically, you know, a dumbbell, but, you know, you can really do it with just about anything. And honestly, I mean, body weight squats are like a great way to start too. I, I mean, you didn't really mention it, but... Like, I think resistance bands have, like, really blown my mind in terms of, like, what you can do at home where, you know, they attach anywhere, they hit any angle, and, like, you know, they're pretty cheap. And at this point, I mean, in the middle of COVID, you couldn't find them anywhere, which is nuts. Uh, but now, you know, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit easier. So I, I definitely think, you know, resistance bands is another great way. I guess I also want to talk from, like, a COVID standpoint. You know, a lot of people are working from home. Not everybody has, like, an office job or an outdoor job. You know, like, do you do you have anything that goes into – programming your house in terms of being more ergonomical? I'm not too, personally, there's not a lot of uh, good data to show that like ergonomics and things like posture have a big impact on pain. 
Um, it's going to sound crazy, but I preach this all the time because if it, if it was that simple, then we wouldn't have such a, we wouldn't be losing, meaning there's chronic pain, increases in chronic pain, increases in disability. And if it was something as simple as, you know, just switching your posture, then why do we spend so much on healthcare and get such bad outcomes? So right off the bat, I would say that I'm not too concerned about ergonomics, but I am concerned about just general movement. You know, if you're, if you're standing, if you're sitting in like the perfect posture, very upright, it's only a matter of time before your lower back is a little bit tight. Likewise, if you're in the other position, if you're here, it's only a matter of time before, you know, you might feel some tightness in your shoulders. There, it's almost never a per, one perfect posture. I'm always thinking of things as dynamic. You've got to be moving because moving makes you feel better. Same reason why it's harder to stand for an hour than it is to walk for an hour. Standing for an hour is brutal. But if you walk for an hour, it's not the worst thing. So for anyone that's working at home, my personal advice is try to take micro breaks. You know, every 20, 30 minutes, just get up, stretch a little bit, move around. Um, an hour of training versus about eight hours of sitting. So if you're not, you know, doing something and training doesn't have to be like hitting the gym. It could just be kind of what we talked about, doing some body weight squats, doing some push-ups, walking your dog, very basic things to just make sure you're moving opposed to just sitting all the time. It just distributes the stress to different areas. And that's the key is not stressing the same things over a long period of time. If you sit with a perfect posture for an eight hour car ride, you you can't tell me that you're not still gonna feel uncomfortable. It's gonna be brutal. I remember those car rides back up to Buffalo. It's like, doesn't matter how I sit, I need to take a break and move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get the blood flowing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that definitely makes sense. You know, I guess, I guess, you know, in an optimal world, people start getting walking desks, but being that that's not going to be too, too likely, I mean, I can <laughs> just be like so stupid looking. But, uh, you know, I guess if if you do have like a standing or like a sitting desk, not one or the other is better, but alternating, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, just things like switching your posture. If you're sitting with your legs down, sit with your legs on your chair, sit with one leg on, the other one half kneeling, uh, shift your weight side to side, all these little things. Again, you know, set a timer for like 30 minutes. And if you notice yourself like this the whole time, leaning on the right side, when you timer comes off, just lean on your left side. So things like that might help alleviate some stresses. But I think the main goal, kind of what you said, if you could get a walking desk, man, <laughs> I've done virtual sessions where I'm walking on a treadmill. And that, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine that. I'm just imagining just like pushing the desk or like whatever, even if it's just like robotic, just falling over on like the cracks in New York City. There's just too much shit everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I guess like for for you, like, do you, would you also recommend like preventative stuff, right? Uh, I have pretty bad knees, just like a lot of years playing like soccer and then basketball and, you know, just a lot of stuff. And there's a guy on Instagram that is also pretty big knees over toes guy. And like his whole philosophy yeah. is just like, you know, squatting low and like over your knees. But then he has like a whole like knee rehab program. My dad when I was a kid was always just like, you don't have weak knees or, or you don't have bad knees. You just have weak knees. And from doing like the exercises that that guy shows on his Instagram, my knees feel much better. Like hiking downhill doesn't hurt as much. I can go play ball and like not have to take a bath afterwards. I still sometimes do just because it's <laughs> just being old at this point. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things, right? Like, would you recommend like preventative things on top, like in terms of like sitting or just general health? Oh, for sure. And I think it's it's just one of those things where 
you know, you get better at the things that you do. So obviously if you keep moving, you'll get better at moving. But we spend so much time, like, let's say if you don't play sports in college and then you go, you know, you, you graduate and you find like a finance job where you're sitting at the desk working 50 to 60 hours a week. All those years, you know, doing crazy things when you're a kid, like practicing parkour, jumping over fences, all that stuff. We lose the ability to tolerate those stresses. So then when we go back to like playing basketball where we jump a couple of times, all of a sudden we've got bad knees, but we never take into consideration that we weren't prepared anymore. We're losing preparation. It's like having, you know, 10 off seasons in a row and then you play the game and it's like, oh, no, 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 I've got bad knees. No, you just haven't done anything in a while. So the biggest thing for me is always going to be preparation in regards to, you know, strength training. What you're training in a gym should prepare you for what happens outside of, you know, the gym, what happens in life. So, you know, kind of to your point, like knees over toes, I don't know that guy, I know of him, I've never done any of his programs, but I do believe in some of the philosophy, you should be able to let your knees come over your toes, because you should be able to tolerate that. That's something that happens all the time when you're changing directions, when you're sprinting, when you're coming downhill. So if you don't train your ability to tolerate those stressors, then you're always going to feel overwhelmed when you're exposed to them. I never thought about that, that that's actually why they hurt downhill. I thought it was just more of like the ergonomics of whatever, like, like I have like the, uh, what is it, the patella tendon is like the lower knee into like your shin, right? Like that, that area. That's yeah. Patella ten- yeah. So I get like patella tendonitis when I like go hiking and then it has like a lot of downhill. And I didn't realize that it's actually, you're correct that, I mean, obviously you're correct, but. I didn't realize that it's, you know, from a standpoint of like having your knee over your toe and that's where like the pain is coming from. So, yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. I guess for like, you know, like the big areas that people have injuries, right, are like neck, shoulders, back, uh, knees, and I don't know, probably like ankles, hips, right? Like, I guess, would you, would you say that if you're just doing prehab stuff like that, that that would count as like workouts? And like, do you have anything that would like, do you have any recommendations in terms of like what to do as like a general program of just say you, you're not really caring that much about physical fitness overall, but you just want to say, I don't want to get hurt. It's um, it's a loaded question, right? Cause if we, if we had that the profession would cease to exist, but I think in general, most people don't, when they experience an injury, they don't ever fully rehab it. Well, meaning someone has back pain. How do I know it, it's related to the back? I've had so many people that have back pain or hip pain and they have, and it's one-sided and then, you know, I'm getting to know them a little bit more and they're like, yeah, I've had chronic ankle sprains since I was a kid, but I never rehabbed them on the right side. We check the balance side to side. We check the training and all these other things side to side, and it's always worse on the right side. So I'm always, for me, I'm always making sure that everything in the body is doing what it's supposed to do. Because if certain things aren't up to par in regards to like the functional capacity, then other areas have to make up for it. So if you're, and here's like uh, some fun things I always talk about is every single time your foot hits the ground, there's a ground reaction force. So your foot and your ankles, your calf complex recycles about 50% of that. If you have, you know, chronic ankle sprains and all these things, and you've never properly rehabbed them, then you're not getting that 50% that's supposed to be recycled in those tendons and it's going upstream. What's next? The knees, what's next? The hips, what's next? The back. And then you'll notice that, you know, people with chronic ankle sprains also have hip injuries and almost these chronic like re-injuries. And it's like, no one ever rehabbed the ankle well, no one ever rehabbed the hip well. And now all the stress is going to the back and now they're being told they have a weak core. 
So all they do is, you know, raise their abs, but they're not addressing any of the real situ- real problem, which is nothing else is doing what it's supposed to do. So when it comes to like prehab exercises and stuff like that, it's hard to say. I just think in general, you should always be doing the basics, which is squat, hinge, push, pull, carry, lunge. Also jump, throw, and sprint. That's like a review sheet for life. Meaning in life, those nine movements are always done. So if you always train those nine movements, you're gonna be pretty solid. Meaning if you're 70 something years old and you can still jump and sprint, like I'm not worried that you're gonna have a fall you know, going to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, if you have knee pain, but you can, or if you're someone that has like um, knee pain with certain things, I need to make sure that you're able to squat you're able to lunge, you're able to sprint, you're able to jump because I know you're going to get that in life. So in regards to like prehab, me personally, prehab is strength training. It's increasing the adaptability of the organism so that whenever it's exposed to a particular stress, it's well below the threshold of what it's capable of doing. That's awesome. Yeah, I like it's things that I'm going through with myself where like I'm just at this point in life where like, you know, I don't have time to be injured. You know what I mean? Like, like people like are asking me to do like crazy things now and again and like i have a buddy who wants to go like helicopter skiing and i I like i'm like dude like i just don't want to get hurt like like it sounds cool and like you know when i was like 18 to like 25 i'm like yeah like i'm down to get nutty and like go do these things but like now i'm just like like obviously you don't want to die too right but like i just don't want to get hurt like i just don't want to be i don't have time to be laid up for a month or two i guess like for you personally like i see you doing these things right like i saw you in like the car park center like doing like the ball throws and stuff uh you know like doing like different sprints and stuff you know like it, it's for i think for a lot of people it's it's one of those things where they might feel like embarrassed like do you have anything as far as that goes or like any words as far as that goes yeah i mean i, I definitely get looks all the time but it, you know i look at things a lot differently now in life like if someone like, let's say like, I feel jealous of a particular person or if I get like upset at a particular person, I'm always looking like introspectively, like what's happening with me at that time. And usually when I have like negative thoughts or feelings about someone else, I'm usually going through something myself. So like, don't be, don't be so afraid of what other people think. Just do the things that you need to do. Because one, you know, it's not a weird thing to be doing. It's a very natural thing to be doing. And yes, sprinting in a parking lot might not be the first thing you do, but at the time of the pandemic, it was the most free space we had in New York. So I would say just go to the gym, find an accountability buddy, find someone that's going to you know help guide you through the process of training and moving. And I, I always try to make it a fact that it's for everybody. You know, If you see the people that I work with, I work with people that are like 60-something years old, swinging kettlebells, jumping, sprinting, and still, because we got them up to that. If you don't think you're capable of, find someone else to show you it. You know, that's why I always think um, training, having trainers and coaches is valuable because if they're educated enough and they know what they're doing, you can experience life-changing things from, you know, interacting with them. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess obviously it's going to be in the links and stuff, but for, for you guys, it's Reload PT, but then you guys also started doing like an at-home training program. What's the name of that? And like, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so our, our at-home training program actually solves this exact problem. We call it Athletic Adults. And I'm a big uh, Nike fan. So I read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight and I was 
the Bill Bowerman quote, if you have a body, then you're an athlete. I really resonate with that because I think no matter what you're doing, you're moving like an athlete. You're training the same movements as an athlete, just on the other side of the continuum. You might not be as fit, but you're still doing the same things. When an athlete plants their foot and decelerates themselves to ch you know, change directions, that's a lunge. They might be doing it at a higher speed, but an older person might just be doing a lunge. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to get to that point. So our program is kind of bridging that gap of, hey, let's just get you prepared for life. Life just doesn't always look like a machine at the gym. Life looks like movement. Life looks like squat, hinge, push, pull, carry, lunge, sprint, jumping, sprint, jump, and throw. So we try to embed everything into those programs so that people are prepared to do everything. That people who come in with uh, different you know, surgeries, previous injuries, um, all kinds of sports from like tennis, hiking, everything. And we just get them back to doing what they love, just through training. And these are people, you know, that had no idea what to do without any equipment. So they started off in our foundations course, which is strictly body weight and bands. And then we have two kettlebell courses where you just have to get some bells and we put you through some amazing workouts, but it's just getting people doing what human beings should be able to do. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a debate for me and then just time, but then I missed the signups for the first batch. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see going into the summer because I got to find some kind of motivation. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. I, I have some issues going on too, but um, yeah, I guess for, for you, right? Like it's not just, you know, what workouts you're doing and, and, you know, everybody being an athlete is like a huge aspect, but you know, I guess I think that people look at fitness lifestyle and they're just like, it's too rigid. It's too, you know, structured and like, they just, they just don't want to put in like the time and the effort, right? Like, but they don't have the time and the effort to like really put into it. So like, how do you lower the threshold or like help with like that accountability? You mentioned like accountability partners, like what else kind of gets people into gear that you find? The biggest thing for me is like, just understanding like how difficult it is to build a habit, right? I, I'm not that I'm not that judgmental when like someone really struggles to pick up this training fitness thing because I know how hard it is to change a habit. So finding easy barriers to just start the habit is key. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's a book about like developing habits, but I found one session particularly interesting, and it was talking about how to get someone to go to the gym. For someone that wants to start training at the gym, maybe instead of actually going to the gym, the first thing they do is they wake up every morning, just put on gym clothes. Then, you know, after a couple of weeks of that, they put on the gym clothes and then they walk to the gym and then walk back home. After a couple of weeks of that, maybe they walk to the gym with their gym clothes and they do a couple of push-ups and then walk back home. And after a little bit, they're walking to, the, they're thinking, okay, I'm walking to the gym now. It's so ridiculous to go to the gym and not actually do a longer workout and they start doing a longer workout. So it's giving people bite-sized pizzas that they can do and it's slowly building it up because if I wake up every single morning and I put on gym clothes, it's going to feel ridiculous to sit in my living room in gym clothes. So immediately you're going to start transitioning somewhere else. But what most people try to do is optimize a habit that isn't built yet. You have to build the habits before you can optimize the habits. So before someone can even start to train at the gym three or four times a week, sometimes five times a week, 60 minutes, they just have to be able to put on gym clothes. After that, they just got to be able to walk to the gym. So 
slowly building these habits and ingraining into their routine is what's going to set you up for your long-term success opposed to, hey, I got the perfect program for you. Um, 15 minutes at, 15 minutes this, four or five times a week. And it's like, I can't even put on gym clothes. <laughs> so figuring out what the barrier to entry is and slowly working with someone to kind of break down more and more barriers so that it can be successful. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's definitely not something, I mean, I, I think that there's a ton of books and like a ton of, like humans are, we're, we're, you know, unique and all this kind of stuff, but like we just have this, because I can imagine that working, right? And like, there, there's just something about like humans where it's just like, oh, that's going to work on like a lot of people, right? Like, yeah, like it would feel ridiculous to like sit in your like, you know, apartment and be dressed up like Lance Armstrong or something like that, right? Like I'm imagining somebody like bike riding and like, you know, like, all right, like I'm in like, the unitard and i got like the helmet on and now i sit in the room and it's like man this is stupid like let me just get on the bike like <laughs> yeah it's it's you know we we always say like we're very different but a lot of us are very similar in regards to like the struggles and stuff that we deal with it's like no i don't want to do this everyone faces very similar problems and for me it's just thinking about problem solving you know, whenever the problems arise, let's work together and figure out how you can solve this problem. You know, something as simple as like setting your clothes up the next day to just be gym clothes. Is, is that something that you think you can do? And if they agree to that, then they've made a commitment. I'm never trying to push something onto someone. I want to make sure that it's always asking questions and being more inquisitive. Like, hey, is this something that you think is possible? And if they say yes, then it's not in my ballpark anymore. It's in their ballpark. But also asking questions like this, like, hey, how motivated are you to start this process? Because if you're telling me that you're, you know, like a three or four out of 10, maybe right now isn't the time. You know, there's, there's certain tipping points that you'll get to where it's like, I've got to make this change. I've got to make this change. So figuring out when the right time is. Some, sometimes it's not that moment. You know, it's a couple of months down the line, maybe a couple of years down the line where you realize like, man, I need to change these habits. But if you're not open to change, then and you're not motivated to change maybe it's not the right time right now mm -hmm. yeah i i think that's definitely like a factor is like mindset do you so on your end of things you're not really trying to change mindsets you're trying to really just capitalize on mindsets would you say yeah i wouldn't even say like capitalize on mindsets i'm definitely trying you know it's there are certain stages of the change where people couple of things to think about is like people don't know about the problem and you know certain people that know they have the problem some people that just need more information it's just trying to meet people where they are overall you know if you get someone training and moving meeting these physical activity guidelines then they're gonna be in a better position so i'm always going to push for that it's not like i'm trying to peer pressure into doing something uh doing something that i think is detrimental to their health so i'm just trying to figure out what they need from this interaction you know, if someone doesn't even know they have a problem, meaning like, eh, maybe I'll train. I don't know. It's, I heard it's good for me. I'm not going to push them that hard. I might just give them some information, like that simmer over time. And maybe they meet another trainer or therapist. And then, you know, that same conversation keeps coming up. I'm like, hey, maybe I, I should train. So it's just planted the seed for some people. Other people, it's like, you know, let me build some structure. Let me help you build some structure around um, these things. So. I wouldn't say it's just more about meeting people where they're at and collaborating with them to break down the barriers that prevent them from achieving these goals. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Do you, like, what's your take as far as nutrition goes? Like, are you, 
in terms of, I guess, yourself and, like, in terms of, like, what are, obviously, you know, it's definitely something that, like, America as a whole face, which is just, uh, you know, there, there's, like, a lot of, a lot of difficulty to get, like, healthy nutrition food, right? Like, what's your personal take as far as nutrition goes? Um, personal take is, one, it's right off the bat, I'll say it's outside of my scope of practice. I think uh, a lot of people give a lot of advice on nutrition that aren't uh, depth to do it. So um, I, I date my girlfriend's uh, sister who who's a dietitian and she works with people with eating disorders. And, you know, some of the narratives that they hear around nutrition and some of the things you tell people can be very detrimental to someone's self-esteem and just their overall mental well-being. So in general, I'm going to say less restrictions. I think as a culture and especially the world that we live in right now, where we get to see everyone's highlight reels, you know, it's, you almost feel guilty eating certain things and it makes you feel bad and it gets you stressed out and all these other things. And it's like a snowball effect. I don't have much of an opinion on nutrition. I think let's, instead of restrict things, let's add things like, Hey, let's go for a walk. Let's do all these things. Let's do other things that, if you have to restrict yourself from doing something you love, it's only going to make building a habit even worse. So let's add some training. Let's add all these things. I personally eat pizza a couple of times a day. I have one or two beers a day, a couple of glasses of wine, depending on the day. And then I'm in great shape. My blood pressure's gone down. My heart, resting heart rate's gone down because I train. So naturally, and my, you know, my muscle mass and everything has gone up. Body fat's gone down. I'm just training. So I don't think you have to train, uh, switch a lot of the nutrition things. I think people just have to start moving. We have an inactivity crisis. So my goal is to get people moving. Yeah, awesome. I guess I don't want to eat up too much of your time. And so, dude, I mean, thanks for the time. We can definitely run it back, you know, again, when you have some more time. You're, you're hard due to <laughs> get a handle on. But we will we'll run it back. And I'll put some of the links in the description. But, yeah, I guess if you had, you know, one last, like, little closing thing to – help people get started or, you know, advise people on getting started? Like, what would you tell them? Find a way to develop some accountability because I think most people that get started with things, they don't stick with it because one, they're not held accountable for it. They need structure. So if you need to buy a program, shameless plug, sign up for athletic adults, because we give you that accountability live Zoom sessions. I just think people need structure around what they're doing. And if they have structure, they're more likely to succeed opposed to just you know, figuring it out themselves. Yeah, man, hundred percent. Thank you for the time. And like I said, man, we'll, we'll run it back, see how you guys are doing. And I'll probably be in the program soon. <laughs> I got to get started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, appreciate it. Seth. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate the time. <laughs> Anytime. Take it easy, brother. All right, peace.